tonight, I'm going to be talking again about the vital signs of life, as I said. And the topic for tonight is actually obedience in our witness. And I'll talk more about that. Um, but just as you see here, we have the daily life of a spirit-filled Christian. And um, we've been talking about the different aspects of this um, discipleship wheel. Which, if we just review, includes what I call the vital signs of the spiritual life. Which is God's word internalized. We've talked a lot about scripture memory, God's word in our heart. And then faith that endures, that will stand the test of time, that will be willing to die. That's what I talked about last week. And then uh, this week we're going to talk about obedience in our witness. And um, this is a really exciting topic. And then right before the prayer weekend, we'll be talking about prayer that prevails. And I'll have help with that. But something I just wanted to clarify before I actually... Um, get too deep in tonight's topic is what I was talking about last week in in relation to faith. And that is, I don't want to be trite about the trials and and the struggles that we have. You know, I talked about different, different things in my life, different things in lives of people that we know and the pain and how we have to trust God. And it's true that we do, but, um, I don't want to, you know, brush it off either as being just a little deal. Um, In Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, this is just kind of a P.S. that I'm adding to to last week's talk on faith that endures. You guys probably know this by memory. But it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And just really realizing, you know, we can't explain away trials. I can share things that I've learned from trials, just as you can share things that you've learned from trials. But realizing that doesn't take the pain away. We have to let God be God. And some things we're not going to understand in this life, right? Something else I shared was talking about just the trials that are going to come ahead in the future and how that's scary. And it is because we know, you know, that some people are going to be asked to even to lay down their life. And I talked about that. But something else um, that God's really showed me and encouraged me, and I didn't, I didn't remember to share this, was in De- Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-five, which I have up here on the screen. And it says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And so I don't want to leave that topic without saying, you know, God gives us strength for the trials when they come. But we can't necessarily have strength for tomorrow's trials today. And um, that's something I didn't really mention last week. Um, So that's kind of a PS to the the topic on faith. Let's um, bow our heads for prayer and then we'll dive into this week's topic. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us strength through this week and um, through this day and whatever trials that we've had today. And Father, I just pray that you would be here this evening, that your Holy Spirit would be present, that you would give me clarity in thought and in word and expression, Father, that all that's shared tonight would be to your glory and honor, um, because that's what it's all about, Father. We want to honor and glorify you in our lives in our witness, in our testimony, and in all that we do. So please be with us this evening, I pray. In your precious name, amen. Last week, um, I shared from the verse as I was closing, um, 1 Thessalonians 4. And I'm just going to start there again this evening. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And I was talking about the fact how trials bring our sanctification and that's kind of why the, I used that verse last week. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And um, then in verse 7, how he talks about the fact he's called us to holiness. And the reason that we can be thankful for that in our trials is the fact that he's, he's willing to do whatever it takes to save us. And that's, you know, again, the encouragement I was trying to share. And we should, we should want him to do whatever it's going to take for him to save us, Right? even if it means the death of ourself and our pain. So that's what I was um, sharing. Is his, his ultimate goal is for us to be saved, and that's why we can be thankful for that. But moving on this evening as we talk about obedience, I want to look at the verses following that. 
And um, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, verse 4. So this is the will of God, even your sanctification. We just read that. Now, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. In sanctification and in honor. Now, just a kind of a side topic here as we talk about this. When the flood occurred on earth, what was the vessel that God used to save the people? It was the ark. Yeah, we all know it was the ark. Now, was the important thing in that the wood of the structure or the people inside of it? What was God trying to save? The people inside. The ark was the vessel, right? But it was actually the people inside that he was, that God was seeking to save. And it just makes an interesting correlation. I was thinking about this um, a while back. What is the vessel today that God uses to save us? Individuals, people. But how about for us personally? Yeah, the Holy Spirit's instrumental. But actually what I'm looking for here is, is our body. Yes, we are the vessel. Our body is the vessel that transports what God is trying to save. Now, in the long run, does our flesh matter? No, actually it's, what inside, it's what's inside that really counts, right? It's the character. But um, just as if the ark had not been built correctly... Those people in the flood wouldn't have lived. They wouldn't have made it through the flood, right? And the same is with us as well. If our temple, if our vessel, I should say, that God has made to transport us through this life to the next one is not taken care of, is not constructed, is not used in the proper capacity, we're going to be lost as well. Do you see the correlation? So I'm going to go, go more into this. First um, Thessalonians, I'm reading in First Thessalonians 4, verse 5 now. <clears throat> so that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. I guess I have to keep it here in, in the flow. Now, verse 5. Not in the lust of con, concu, concu, <laughs> concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Okay, I've studied this word out, this word out a little bit, but I just can't say it. <laughs> it's a it's a kind of um, difficult word. Do you know what that word means? <laughs> I'm going to. I just want to know if anybody has ideas before I tell you. <laughs> well, if you look there in First uh, Thessalonians four verse five, you'll see how to spell it. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Okay, I'm not going to say that word again. But if you go to the Greek, <clears throat> the word um, actually comes from the root word epithemia. And it means to desire that which is forbidden. To desire that which is forbidden. So you could look at this not in the lust of desiring that which is forbidden, even as the Gentiles do which know not God. But, you skip down to verse 7, but God's called us to holiness, not to uncleanness. But before I leave that, um, that cool little word, this is kind of incidental. This isn't anything I can say, oh, oh this is um, whatever. But this is just something, as I was studying this, I thought, isn't that interesting? Epithemia, that's kind of a little bit similar to um, the root word epithelial. And you know what epithelial is? It's actually what our flesh is made up of. It's the cells all through our body, but it's our flesh. And I was just thinking how um, that's the one thing that we need to be on guard against with, with Satan. And that's what he's constantly bringing before us in the Christian battle is our flesh. And here it's basically saying that this can't be part of our lives, you know, the flesh. And so when I saw that correlation, which, you know, is purely incidental. I can't prove it anywhere. I just thought, wow, how interesting. Epithemia, epithelial. There's um, a correlation there. So now as we talk about the flesh versus spirit, um, let's just read some verses before we get into practical application. Looking first um, at Romans 13, 14. 
just as really a quick verse. It says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make not provision for the flesh. So we're not supposed to take care of the flesh. We're not supposed to nurture it. Uh, moving to Galatians 4. We're going to stay in Galatians here for a couple minutes. Galatians 4, 22 and 23. Now, last week we talked about the battle of the flesh versus faith when it came to Abraham and Ishmael, a- Abraham and Isaac. And I just thought this was a this verse went, al- went along well with what we were talking about last week, and it goes along with this week as well. Galatians four twenty two and 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by the promise. And that's what God, God desires, right, is, is the promise, not um, the one born in bondage through his glory and power was um, Isaac. Now we're going to skip over another chapter to Galatians 5, 16, and 17. See, what was I looking here? For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Um... Which doesn't mean we just disregard the law, but yeah, we could get into a whole discussion on that. But skipping down to um, verse 24, here we see the works of the flesh in verse 20 and 21, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, envyings, revelings, you know, on and on and on. And then the fruits of the Spirit in verse 22, um, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, you know, all these things. And then um, verse 24, and it says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's just interesting, you know, that God has so clearly, through Scripture, given us clear commands. (laughs) You know, you are not to live in the flesh. You're to live in the Spirit. It's, um, It's a real challenge, especially if we don't realize how the strength for that comes, and we'll We'll look more at that. And then the last verse here um, in this section that I wanted to look at was 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 12. Um, actually, I'll start back. Yeah, I'll start back with verse 6. 1, Corinthians, um, 1 Timothy 6, 6 and on. And just talking about what is God, what is God asking us in our lives when it comes to faith, when it comes to honoring him in the spirit. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But, oh, this is kind of scary here. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We can, just, we can just look at the rich and the famous of Hollywood to see how they're pierced through with many sorrows. You know, the, the acquirement of goods and all these things isn't, isn't bringing satisfaction. But thou, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereinto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. That's a challenge, isn't it? It's encouragement, but it's a challenge. He's called us to a really high standard, um, which is really a challenge. Um, so tonight I'm talking about obedience in our witness. And I'm not going to actually be talking about soul winning techniques or, or things like that. You know, we're aware of those. We talk about those a lot. And it's good to talk about those. There's many different things that are more effective than others and ways that you can be more bold in sharing your witness. But actually what I wanted to emphasize and talk about tonight is actually obedience in our practical lives. Because... Um, 
as we're talking about subduing the flesh and being obedient to God, obedience actually is our witness. Have you really thought about that? It's not what we're saying. It's not what we're preaching. You know, it's our lives. Are we obedient to God? You know, if I'm up here saying a bunch of nice things, but then you know in my practical daily life I'm not living those things that I'm saying or I'm not striving to live those things I'm saying, you know, what does that make you think about me? What does that make you think about God? Yeah, it's, it's like a farce, hypocrisy. And we see it all around. So actually, um, as we talk this evening, um, and I'm going to talk about some more specific areas, obedience is our witness. And I just want to encourage you um, in this line. I have some few stories, some personal, some not, that I'm going to share. But... Um, just to mention this, it really seems in our lives that it's very easy to compartmentalize, you know? It's easy to make the fact that God is a part of our spiritual life, you know, we spend time in devotions and all these different things, but then when we actually go about our daily life, whether it's um, a financial decision or how we're spending our money or a relationship or something like that, is he really central core in these areas of our life? And that's, that's the challenge because he has to be. He can't just be, you know, part of our life. He has to be all of our life. So um, I'm going to just focus on the three different areas that we know that make up the person, the physical, mental, and the spiritual. And I'm just going to um, share some interesting stories from these. First off, um, our lifestyle. You know, we, we come from a community that promotes health, wellness, nutrition, um, and all of that. So it's not a foreign concept to us. But think about your lifestyle and how it relates on everyday life. You know, when I um, was working as a nurse earlier, um, probably a year or so ago, um, I often get interesting comments about the things that I eat. Um, because I'm a vegetarian and all, and I'm taking these things to work, and I'm not eating the meat that everyone else is. And um, Anyway, at work, I kind of had the reputation, like they pass out chocolates or things like that, and I would turn them down. Not that I don't like chocolate, but I know it's not good for me. makes my face break out, <laughs> which is a vanity area, but I'm just like, no, I don't want it. It sure is yummy, yeah, Gizmo says. <clears throat> but... Um, So it's just kind of funny. This is uh, interesting. And I think I might have shared this story before sometime last year. But this one day that I was at work, um, it's just interesting how things, one thing leads to another. This one day I was at work. um, I'd gone down to the cafeteria. I got my usual salad, some type of entree. They had a vegetarian entree and all that. And I looked at the cheesecake. Do you guys remember this story? I looked at the cheesecake in the cabinet. And I love cheesecake. And... I've learned how to make a really good vegan cheesecake. So, you know, I like that too. But I still love the real thing, okay? So that's one of my weaknesses. So I was looking at this. And I was like, oh, man. You know, I'd be okay if I got just got it today. I haven't had a real cheesecake in a while. And I, I almost, actually, I did. I pulled it out of the cabinet, right? So I take it to the register. I'm going to have cheesecake with my salad and everything else. And I was like, you know, this really isn't a good idea. I don't need this. My health doesn't need it, you know. So I went and put the cheesecake back. And then you remember, I went back upstairs, and they were having some conversation about health issues. And this one girl was like, well, you should ask Melody. You know, she's the health expert around here, and she doesn't eat any meat, and she doesn't eat any sweets. <laughs> and she, she turns down all the chocolate, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I didn't come back to this floor with a cheesecake in tow, you know. What would that have, what would that have um, been? And it's not that eating cheesecake is a sin, Okay. But um, it's amazing how people watch what we do. And that's the whole point that I'm, that I'm wanting to share here. You know, I have had so many incredible Bible discussions with my patients, with my fellow workers, because of the food that I take to work. I mean, it's crazy. But people notice. And so that's just a practical um, way of witness. Um, <clears throat> As you know, I just got back from a mission trip to Bangladesh. On the way, flew through Hong Kong, spent a few hours in Hong Kong. Um, Actually stayed in the airport. I didn't go out in the city. But while I was there, I was kind of bored, and I brought brought this book along called Chasing the Dragon. And this is by Jackie Pollinger. 
It's um, called One Woman's Struggle Against the Darkness of Hong Kong's Drug Dens. Now, what's, what's really interesting, I had the book with me. I didn't realize it was about Hong Kong. I just, you know, I'd had a friend recommend it, and I thought, I'm going to take this with me, and if I have time to read it, I'm going to read it. I pulled it out in the Hong Kong airport, and I thought, wow, here I am in Hong Kong starting to read this testimony. Well, anyway, that's a little side point. But I started reading this book, and it's just phenomenal, the miracles that, that this woman was was seeing happen in her life because of God's intervention and the Holy Spirit's intervention. She went as a single woman to the walled city of Hong Kong, that which, which was just infested with drunk, drug gangs and prostitution and all these different things. And she just went in there to live, and nobody could believe, you know, what are you doing living in there with all those people? Why don't you live out here where it's safe and you can, you know. And she had a ministry there where she opened this um, fellowship hall for, for the kids to come and, and have a safe place to come and talk and be. And it was just just an incredible witness. And now, I mean, you, you really need to read the book yourself to get the full story. But after being there almost 20 years, that whole walled city disintegrated. The whole drug population and everything is it's no longer considered an area of vice. Largely because of her and the mission work that went there. It's just an incredible testimony. But I just wanted to share a little interesting part here about our actions and our words, especially when it comes to ministry. Here she's talking to one of the head leaders in this, in one of the big drug gangs, big macho guy and everything, tough it, rough it. But he was listening to her and talking with her. And she was talking to him about the reason for the um, fellowship that she had established. And she says, I established it because I wanted everyone, I wanted you to know about the love of Jesus. And his reply was an an indictment and a confirmation. He says, I know. We've been watching you. Many missionaries come to Hong Kong to help us poor people. They put us in sociological boxes and they analyze us. Then they take our pictures to shock the Westerners by our living conditions. Some men get famous because they've been here. But inside the walled city, we usually get rid of them within six months. He spoke maliciously. We find ways to discourage them until they have no heart to continue. Had you been a man, we would have beaten you long ago. And then um, they go on to say here. um, Let's see here. She's talking. He added, we couldn't care less if you have big buildings or small ones. You can be offering free free rice, free schools, judo classes, or needlework to us. Doesn't matter if you have a daily program or him singing once a week. These things don't touch us because people who run them have nothing to do with us. What we want to know is if you are concerned with us. Now, you have been here for four years, and we have decided that maybe you mean what you say. We thought for a long time um, that surely you were a spy or what Jesus says must be true. Because there can't be any other explanation. Nobody's going to spend their life with us down here unless they have to or unless Jesus is real. So that's the conclusion they came to. You know, you're either a spy sitting here by the government to watch us or what you say about Jesus is really real. And I'm just reading this testament and thinking, wow, you know, I've looked at missions through through such a distorted lens so much of my life. And, you know, I love missions. I love going and and helping the children in other countries and the adults as well. And I've spent a few months in the mission field. But have I really gone and been willing to just live in the dirt with these people? Have I been really willing? And, you know, I have to say, I haven't. I haven't. You know, look at what this lady's done and how God's been able to use her because she, just like Christ, came and lived among them. She just didn't come and preach a sermon and go back to her comfy home or, you know, fly over and go back to America. And so that's really um, affected me. I got to get on with my stories or I'm not going to, I'm not going to get through them in time. Um, Dressing for success. This is a little tougher area for me to talk about, and I'm going to step on some toes probably as I talk about it. But I want you to know I'm stepping first on my own toes (laughs) as I talk. But that's the area of dress, and specifically in relation as women. Um, I've, I've just really thought a lot about this over the years. What is our reason for why we wear what we do? And we're talking about obedience, okay? 
And what God cares about, obviously, is the heart. He wants the heart. But if he has our heart, is not our lives, is not our body going to reflect that? You know, just, you just stop and think. Um, so questions that I'm asking, you know, are we dressing to impress guys, to impress God? Or are we, or are we dressing to impress God? Um, a lot of people in our society and even in our church feel like they have to have the best. And, you know, I'll say Neiman Marcus for an exaggeration, but, you know, it doesn't even have to be that. It can be um, some other name brand place. But last summer, when my parents were here, we were at down um, Fashion Island, something south of here. And I've never been there before. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) And for the fun of it, we went into Neiman Marcus. I'd never been in a Neiman Marcus before. And I looked at the first item and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how expensive the stuff is in here. I'm like, do people actually come in here and buy this stuff? So then we decided to have a game of it and see who could find the most expensive item. Well, we were, went to the shoe department and Sunny and my mom and dad and I were all looking at the shoes. Well, this one's 700 and this one's 800. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, Sunny won the competition. She found a pair of... Um, glittery sandals for $1,500. And I was just like, wow, people spend money for this. This is incredible. You know, and I'm thinking, to honor God, do we have to be dressed in the most exquisite fashions, the most expensive fashions? He wants our best, but that is that the best that he wants? You no, know, obviously not. Um, but you look at the extreme that we've gone to as a society, And even somewhat in the church, what we will go to um, for fashion or for looks. Um, But also, not just in the area of of being expensive, but what about in the area of modesty? What about area in the area of being provocative? Now, this is, again, a really touchy subject. Um, But we girls know that guys are visually stimulated. That guys are visually drawn whereas the girls are drawn verbally and, and emotionally and all of that. Why do we dress in ways? And I'm not saying, you know, one thing or another, but I'm just, I'm just wanting to put questions in our minds. As people that are seeking to prepare for heaven, why do we dress in ways that make guys stumble, that lead them down paths that they should not be on? You know, um, <clears throat> yeah. <sighs> I can't, um, let's see here. There's a verse I want to share from James. Um, I actually had a friend that gave Bible studies. And she told about a situation how God had worked in her heart. Um, she was a very beautiful woman. And she had, a, she had a really good heart. But she just did not realize what her dress was doing. She wore the really short skirts and tended to be more tight-fitting outfits. And if you think about these things, they draw attention to all the wrong places, right? So how is it for a guy when he's sitting down trying to have a Bible study with a girl that's dressed like that? Obviously, it's a stumbling block, and, and we should know that. But still, um, still, there's so much of that going on. Um, but I like to liken this to the fact if you have um, a recipe, you're putting together many good things in the recipe, but if you put just a little bit of poison, poison in it, and the people know that there's poison in it. Are they going to eat it? Are they going to eat the cookies that have arsenic in it or whatever? No, because there's a little bit, okay? And they don't even want to go down that path. And yet so many of us start down the path in the different ways that we live our lives and how we act and how we dress and what we do that we're actually headed down the path of death and we're not um, realizing the end result. In James 1... 14 and 15, it says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, I keep asking myself, and not just in the relation to dress, but this is what I'm picking on at the moment. Um, why do we start down paths in our, in our life when ultimately the end result of that path is death? Ultimately, the end result is dishonor to God. 
maybe a little bit doesn't seem very obvious to people and everything, but why do we even start down that path? You know, in Proverbs 16, it says, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But God has um, a higher vision for us. One other thing um, before I leave this um, topic, when I was in high school, something really made an impression to me. And um, that is the concept of the eye line. There was, a, there was a magazine that they brought to us that talked about um, dressing for success. And this was a secular magazine. This wasn't a Christian magazine. And they were talking about women being professional and, and you know, showing that they can do the job and all these things. And they talked about having an eye line <clears throat> that um, breeds that. And uh, in other words, where, where your hymns are, where your where my waistline is, that's going to be the eye line. That's going to be what you're going to focus on. If we wear things that are low, obviously you know where the focus is going to be, right? Okay, so I'm speaking with, um, to girls here. But something <clears throat> that I've personally had to ask myself, and I don't claim to be all, you know, knowing and perfect in this area, but this is really something I'm striving for. When I look at clothes, when I look at my closet, I ask myself, is this for God's glory or is this for my glory? Is this for God's glory or for my glory? You know, and if we really stop and, and ask ourselves that question, that's going to make a difference in what we buy. It's going to make a difference in what we have in our closet. And I've had to ask myself that question over my closet a few times over the years, and I've carried out bags of stuff to Goodwill because of it. So, uh, moving on. Tools and idols. Um, I'm just going to pick on the guys for a second here because um, I picked on the girls <laughs> when it came to dress and all of these things. Um, and again, um, Joel actually did a really good talk on standards and dress um, last year sometime. I think it's on Audioverse, and some of you girls were probably there for that. Um, so I just encourage that. But guys, when it comes to tools or idols, Something that I've, I've had to ask myself the question of, um, specifically in relation to very expensive items, maybe a really expensive boat, maybe a really expensive car, um, is that something that's really glorifying to God? You know, can you see God or can you see Jesus using that vehicle when there's so much suffering, when there's so much need and all these different things around the world? Can we see him doing that? And um, I don't necessarily think that the guys that drive the more expensive vehicles are not converted. I'm not saying that at all. But this is a question. As we're seeking to grow in obedience with God, our life testifies our faith. Our life testifies our heart. What does our life testify? You know, and these are just some outward um, things to really pray about and be challenged about. Anything that fosters pride or self um, has to be done away with. And that's the question I really want to encourage us to ask this evening. Is this for God's glory or for my glory? And if we're really honest about it, we'll know what the answer is. I can't decide what the answer is for everyone. I just have to decide what the answer is for me. Um, Moving on to the mental walk with God. Um, When our parents were raising us, are we more affected and influenced by what they say or by their example? Obviously, we're more, afflict- we're more affected by their example. They can say, pray, 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 read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. But if they don't do it, you know, what do we think of that witness and testimony? Um, I'm, yeah... I'll just move on. David Gates, um, when he was in prison, something that really impressed me about the story that I shared a little bit of last week, when he got to prison, um, they told him, you know, if you want to sleep on one of these beds, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay a lot of money. And, you know, he's a rich white man coming in, so they thought and all of that. He's like, no, that's okay. I'll sleep on the floor. So he rolls up his shoes and he sleeps on the floor. But before he sleeps, he knelt and prayed. You know, he didn't say anything to those guys about the fact that he was a Christian or anything like that. But he knelt and prayed. And because of that, the guys started coming to him and saying, can we pray with you? 
can you talk, can you tell us things about God? We have questions. And he developed a whole ministry, not just medically, which we talked about last week, but a whole ministry just because he was faithful and he was kneeling and praying even when, um, even when he was in a hostile environment. You know, they could have been throwing shoes at him or doing all kinds of other things. Um, the next thing I have here, we're still under the mental walk, and I'm, I'm talking about mind, you know, our mind being submitted to God. Um, when God writes our life story, and this I basically referring to the whole trust aspect. Can we trust God that he's doing with our life what he sees best and what is his will? You know, it could be in relation to a career. It can be in relation to a relationship. Can we trust that God actually knows what he's doing? And that's a huge area. Um, has to do more with faith that we talked about last week. And then the entertainment principle <coughs> will be the last touchy area that I'm just going to mention this evening. When we think about um, our lives and our bodies, it seems like we get mixed up what our life is actually for. seems like it, we make it into an entertainment center when actually it's to be a holy, it's to be a holy temple. And um, entertainment center versus holy temple. And when we're just looking at the habits in our lifestyles, the things that we do when we're down and we need a break, the things that we do for fun... Um, whether it's movies, reading books, games, and I'm not saying all those things are bad, but when we're doing those things, um, what, what aspect does God play in those activities? Or is he, um, is he on the back burner, you know, with other things in our life? And there's a verse that's just been a tremendous encouragement to me in this area and a challenge to me, and it still is a challenge to me, and that's Philippians 4, 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let's let's turn there. Philippians four eight. I want you, I want to ask you, challenge you to ask yourself the question um, in your life over all these different areas. I'm speaking specifically here of entertainment and what comes into our mind, what um, brings us joy. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, if we actually apply that verse to our lives when we're watching a movie or we're reading a book or whatever, what a difference would that make? Yeah, it would just make a it just make an incredible difference. Um, so I want to encourage as we're seeking to grow in our lives with faith to ask God those questions. You know, He literally has encouragement and advice in His Word for us, but it's easy to just do what we want or what all those around us are doing. Um, as I get to this, close off with this last area: uh, obedience is our witness in the spiritual walk. Um, I just want to ask, when are we as Christians, and this is a challenge, you know, that I ask for everyone, including myself, but when are we as Christians um, going to truly be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? When are we going to be willing to sacrifice our reputation? When are we going to be willing to sacrifice our time? When are we going to be willing to sacrifice our sleep? You know, we all think that as the troubles come and as things tighten up in the world and governments, we're going to be more on our knees in prayer. But we're not going to be more on our knees in prayer if we're not developing those habits now. If we're not sacrificing now, we're not going to sacrifice very easily then. Um, when are we going to be willing to sacrifice in relation to our toys and the things that we do. Um, I've just been really challenged myself as I've been praying about this lately. I, I hate the status quo. You know, I'm like, I feel when, when I'm not doing something or I'm not learning something new in the Bible or something like that, I feel like I'm stagnating. And, and I am. You know, we need to be growing as Christians. We need to be pressing higher and higher on the scale. Um, on the ladder, I should say, towards heaven, right? Uh, um, so that's also what I want to encourage in this last area. And then um, 
Let's look at these verses before we do here. Um, a quote that's um, been a blessing to me. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. And again, that's not because you're preaching. That's not because you have a sermon to share or anything. But it's because of the life that you're living. And that's what it should be. Because of the life that we're living. Um, what witness does my obedience show? And these, I think, are our closing verses from Titus. Titus 2, 11 and 12. <coughs> so this is Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Wow. <laughs> When you read that last little quote there, in this present world, God expects us to live soberly and godly and righteously. Isn't that such a huge standard that he's asking of us? But he doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength. Ephesians 3.10, or Ephesians 2, 3-10. Get my uh, references here so we're all jiving. I'm almost finished. Ephesians um, 2. Three through ten. And this is actually this is actually the secret um, to this whole life that we're seeking to live in Christ. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. The bottom of the bucket, the worst possible case you can imagine. He hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Isn't that powerful? It's so powerful. And you know, it's interesting, um, the progression in your mind as you grow. I guess, you know, I always thought grace was, was kind of like mercy. You know, it's like, God, I did this. Please forgive me. Please give me grace. Give me mercy. Which it kind of is, but grace is so much more, as I've come to realize over the last few years. Um, and Eric and Leslie Ludy um, have a conference called the Set Apart Life Discipleship Series that's really helped me grow in this aspect. Realizing that the grace of God is actually the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to change us, to change us and help us to learn to live obedient, victorious lives today. Today. You know, it is possible through his strength. And we, the, the problem is, is we keep trying to do it in our own strength. We keep trying to do it in our own sufficiency. And that's, that's my biggest battle, personally, is, is being an independent person. I keep trying to do it my way and my strength and my time and whatever. And God keeps having to say, Melody, you can't do this. You have to surrender. You have to yield it to me. And um, that's the secret but wrapping our, our minds and our lives and, and all that around it um, is a huge challenge. There's a quote here I have in the back of my Bible. If I can find it, Christ Object Lessons 362. First off, actually, First Testimonies, page 144. It says, We can overcome, yes, fully, entirely, Jesus died to make a way of escape for us that we might overcome every evil temper, every sin, every temptation, and sit down at last with him. 
We can overcome. And then Christ Object Lessons, um, page 362. Our Heavenly Father requires no more nor less than he has given us the ability to do. He lays upon his servants no burdens that they are not able to bear. All that he claims from us, we, through divine grace, can render. Isn't that awesome? Such powerful promises that he's, um, he's given us. Um, this picture um, I showed, I don't know, a couple months. Or was it the summer sometime? Was it last year? I don't remember. But uh, this picture, I have the painting at home on the wall. It's a dock um, where you see there by the rocks, and there's people safely sitting there doing everyday things, from eating and drinking to conducting business and um, having sweet romantic talks and all of that. But yet we see a world that is all around that is drowning. And um, this picture has had a profound impact on me, as I've shared um, at prayer meeting before. Um, here we are, so consumed in our society of comfort, of trying to make the next dollar, of trying to make the next payment on this or that or whatever, and yet there's a world around us that's dying. There's life rafts that are needed. You know, as, as Uncle David's continually saying in his talks, you know, we need people to be out passing out life rafts. We're sinking, and yet we're consumed in our, in our pleasures. And um, I look at this, and it just, it just really challenges, challenges me. Where are my priorities um, in life? A letter that we just got this last week, actually Valerie read this letter to me. And then I asked her sister to send it to me. It's from a lady in Zimbabwe that's doing missionary work there. And I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to read it to you. It's kind of long. But it's just talking about the incredible, the incredible poverty and suffering and all these things that are happening right now today in Zimbabwe. And because of the Western problems that we're having right now in the financial world, the world they're having even more. Inflation has gone up to 11,200,000%. I mean, a, 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 a thing of rope to use to draw water from a well costs $600 in American money there. And it's billions in whatever their money is there. Um, and she's sharing here how much things are costing, just to give you a little hint. And these are things that are happening right now. A pint of milk is four days' work. A bar of soap, one week's work. A loaf of bread, two weeks' work. A bag of mealy meal, two months' work, she said, employing her listeners to lay down Western comforts, if, comforts, if only for a season, to um, help the economic disaster that's happening in Zimbabwe. She, she, she was sharing this, actually, at a, at a convention that she recently had, I think, in, um, in northern Washington. She says, the problems are too large for me. I don't know what to do. Right now, the hunger is so bad that the workers are stealing food that we're growing. They steal it at night, and we know it's the workers because the dogs aren't barking, she said. I can't really blame them too much, but I tell them, look, if you need food, ask. Don't steal. But um, the shortage is still very present. She's built a ministry on saying no as little as possible. She mothers dozens of children, employs hundreds of workers, and feeds and provides ambulance services for thousands more. People say to me, you've got to be able to say no. And she says, I can't say no and watch a child die. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking. But you know what? Um, our human compassion can't take care of these problems around the world. Right? It's too big. It's too big of a scope for us. What God is calling us to is where he has placed us or where he's calling us. You know, he's call, called us to go and share. But how is that shaping our lives today? What is our giving in our lives today? Where he's placed us is the indicator, not necessarily that we're, we're feeding all the, the lost people in, in Zimbabwe or in Bangladesh or whatever, but what are we doing with what he's given us today? And I think that that's the, the, the real indicator in our spiritual walk with him. So as we're seeking to um, grow, um, it's my challenge not to take specific um, standards and say, you know, oh, this is the letter of the law and this is what you have to be do to be saved because we know that that's not the way it is, right? But our hearts, are our hearts seeking to ask as we, as we serve God and as we grow in our daily life, is this for God's glory? Is this for my glory? Because our obedience is our witness 
And that's the challenge and encouragement um, I want to leave you with this evening. Something I've really realized, and like I said, I'm stopping, but when I was in Bangladesh, um, something that struck home to me in a new way is the utter inability of my heart to deal with the grief, with the suffering, with everything. I just felt like, you know, yeah, I was I was seeing the homeless and the beggars on the streets and, uh, you know, all these different things. Raja was there um, beside me. And it was just heartbreaking. And, you know, it would make you cry and everything. But then I, I, I go back to my room and pray, and I'm like, God, I just feel so numb. I feel so dead inside when it comes to dealing with all this, you know, and his heart's bleeding and breaking. But something I realized in Bangladesh— um, and this is kind of personal, but um, I'll share it because I think it's a good challenge for all of us in our walk with God. As I was just praying about my heart and just like, God, help me to love as you love. Help me to see as you see. Help me to be able to, you know, reach as, as you reach and in, in the capacity that you've given me. And when I was there, this hit me like it's never hit me before. And that is the corruptness of my own heart. You know, because I'm there doing good things. I'm there doing this and that, teaching and helping with medical work and all these different things. But it was like suddenly clued into me that my heart is just like the city of Dhaka. And is it possible to even to begin to clean that city? I mean, if you saw it, you'd be just like, no, where do we even start? I mean, there's so much filth, so much poverty, so much trash, so much stench. You just walk down the sidewalk and you're about to gag. And I just realized, I came to the realization, it's just like God brought me to his altar and showed me how much I did not have. My utter inability. And that's why realizing these verses that I've shared tonight about grace are such an encouragement to me. Realizing it's by his grace and power that we are saved, not of works. We can never do enough works. But we need to, you know, through his grace and power, reach out. And and that's what I'm wanting to challenge, and, and I'm excited to see um, as that grows within our group um, that we can be more earnest and more self-sacrificing. And many of you are. I mean, you're very generous, and God's using you in many ways, and so it's exciting to see. But we need to be even more so, right? And so that's the challenge. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, We want to thank you this evening for coming to our world to deliver us from the filth of sin. Father, you came. You came to the country of Zimbabwe. You came to the country of Bangladesh. You came to our country, Father. And Father, our country is just as filthy. doesn't look like it sometimes on the outsides, but Father, it is. And we just pray that you would cleanse us and that you would empower us with your grace to be able to reach the world for you. And that's the commission and calling that you've given us. But we can't do it in our own strength. We need your strength and we need your power. And I just pray that you would give that to us, Father, that we would not be content um, living in the desert, that we would not be content leaving Egypt, but that our ultimate goal would be to be in Canaan with you and prosperous spiritually as the Holy Spirit fills our lives and works through our lives and hearts, Father. Fill us. This is our desire and our prayer. And I just plead that you would break our hearts more and that you would um, just help us to see ourselves for who we are, but also to see you for who you are. Thank you, Father. In your precious name, amen.